but about two years ago, I was raped. There's a lot of anger. We're not being manly enough. There are two ideas about safe spaces. My understanding of the world changed. And I felt numb. Are you a man or a mouse? I was alone. I couldn't bring myself to say it. I was lost. All I wanted was to be able to share my experience, what was happening to me with someone. Hey everyone, welcome once again to Safe Places and Spaces for Men. This is Thomas Edward, your male survivor, resiliency, and leadership development coach. Hey, once again, coming to you from Sacramento, California. And I'm sure many of you, uh, you know, of course, are probably dealing with the coronavirus and it's... uh, uh, it's it's global, right? So it, it's affecting everything, you know, in our life. And, you know, I just think that there, this is just kind of like, you know, the seasons of, of life. Sometimes we, we have those periods or those times in our lives. Well, we have to actually refocus. <laughs> and I'm hoping that this refocus will actually help us to be a little bit more compassionate human beings, to be a little bit more caring about each other you know, and to to really look out for each other, uh, because to me, that's kind of what it's uh, about. So, hey, you know, you take and you just do the best with what you have. So I hope that, um, first of all, everyone is safe out there and, and that you're kind of, you know, following the protocols that they're asking us when we're talking about um, physical distancing. And the people say it's social distancing. I'm like, well, but social means to interact. And so, you know, if I'm still interacting with you <laughs> via uh, web conference or whatever, we're still interacting. So, but uh, it's the social distancing um, is not really, I think, a good word to use, but physical distancing is kind of what they're trying to promote so that you're not spreading um, that virus. Hey, you know, I just want to thank you guys. We had a great uh, group call for those that were on Thursday. We're talking about the second Thursday. Those of you that signed up for the uh, group group coaching it was really awesome. It was really great. And and I think what was good about it was it just allowed us the opportunity to support each other. And I know that, um, you know, usually we talk about the, the abuse and those different types of things and issues that guys are, are um, dealing with and, you know, Q and a questions, those different type of things. But for this one, um, you know, people were just kind of sharing their concerns about, you know, what's going on in the, in the world today. And I think that was a great place there for us. And we even had did talk about some of the abuse issues and actually how um, when we're talking about, I guess you could say kind of being in close quarters uh, where you can sometimes get those type of panic attacks and those different type of things. So uh, we dealt with those and, you know, gave us some different type of techniques and things that we can do to actually help us with those, especially for those that we're talking about. Uh, they felt like they were almost experiencing um, their PTSD stuff again, right? Um, been there, done that, and so we just gave some some tips and things on things that we can do. You know, one of the issues that kind of came up and we didn't really get a chance to uh, uh, address it, and one was, you know, with everything that's going on, let's just say that you are now maybe a little bit closer to your family members than you were before maybe because of of the virus maybe you're more in confined or close spaces because things are just being constrained and they were talking about so how do we how do we deal with that especially um if you're in a situation where let's just say that you pretty much your family members are almost kind of re-victimizing 
you as a sexual abuse survivor. You know, and that's actually come up um, quite a bit. So I, I wanted to, to discuss that. Um, and like I said, I just want to try and do what I can um, for those of you that, you know, there was one guy, uh, well, actually there were a couple of people on the call <laughs> and they said for them, they felt like, you know, uh, with the time now that they have, they're like, you know what, um, we're going to get the coaching. I'm going to start working on the issues. And so they were like, you know, maybe this, maybe this was a blessing they said for them because they said, well, now I have time. So they're like, okay, Thomas, uh, can we start coaching and working on some of these, these things? You know, uh, you know me, I'm all about making your lemons and turning them into lemonade as much as, as possible. So yeah, maybe that's something that people can think about. It's like, okay, now that I have, you know, all this time, um, then maybe I can start working on the issues. And, and for those guys, yeah, that, that was great. Thanks for doing that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, keep dropping the discount your, your way. Cause I think we all need to, to, to help out. And so, um, that way I can help you out. Uh, also. All right. So like I was saying, when we're talking about oftentimes when uh, family members are actually re-victimizing us as sexual abuse survivors, and maybe they don't actually realize it, but I want to just think about, there was a story and I think, um, how was I working with? Yeah, I think this was the issue I was working with someone uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so it had been like about 15 years since the person had like first disclosed uh, to his family that he had been sexually abused by his, by his brother as a child. And, um, you know, he said that if, you know, at the beginning, he said it felt kind of confusing. Uh, you know, there, there was struggle, you know, uh, he said it left him feeling, you know, totally misunderstood, sometimes dismissed, or he even felt like he was being punished um, for choosing to address the, the abuse and the, actually the effects that it had on him. So he kind of said that, you know, the response of the family when they first started out initially, you know, his mother would say, you know, words like, you know, I, I hear you. And she said, I believe you. So she was, you know, trying to give him the support, you know, and of course there was pain that, you know, she was going through, uh, the rest of the family was going through, um, the brother acknowledged, you know, the truth and even uh, apologized, um, and you know, they started to, to heal, but what was starting to happen kind of in the background after he disclosed came a whole second set of problems for him. And so even though the family had kind of acknowledged it, when family members would start responding in, in ways that actually would kind of open up those painful wounds, um, you know, the healing past from abuse, sometimes it's, it's really difficult um, when you have someone who's emotionally injured. And now, of course, those things are coming up again in the present. And so we haven't really had an opportunity to work on them, not just as an individual, but also as a family. And so what happened was the family really members, they their responses uh, were actually just adding more pain for the abuse survivor. Um, and so he was feeling overpowered. He was feeling silenced. He was feeling blamed and, and shamed as he was trying to work through the situation. And unfortunately, they were kind of unaware of what they were doing when we're talking about kind of actually re-victimizing him. And so how were they doing that? Okay, so um, 
as I was sitting down with him, we were working through um, some issues via the web conference. And uh, so we came up with several. And so one of the ways for him that he was actually being re-victimized, re-traumatized by the family was they were denying and minimizing the abuse. Now, you know, many survivors actually never receive acknowledgement of their abuse. And so, you know, as I was talking and dealing with him, I was like, okay, at least that's one positive thing. You know, the family has admitted that this happened, but oftentimes that's not the situation. You know, when I think about, um, you know, my abuse history and I actually, I confronted, I confronted some and I received that, right? There were some who admitted, but then there were some who, who didn't. And there were some members that they just accused, they accused me of lying. And you might be experiencing that too, or exaggerating or having uh, false memories. And so what happens is the negation of the survivor's reality, it adds insult to the emotional injury that we've already suffered. And what it does, it just reaffirms that our past experiences of feeling unheard, of uh, feeling unprotected and once again being overpowered and so when we think about this as a male survivor of sexual abuse this might be you because the family is simply denying and minimizing the abuse that it's causing these different type of things for us so this is the thing that we have to to realize because maybe as survivors, we're assuming that, okay, there was recognition of the abuse. And so that's going to go a long way towards, you know, helping us as survivors as we move forward, you know, with, with the family, especially if the abuse occurred in the family. Okay. So now that's one potential outcome. However, it doesn't necessarily mean that families understand or are willing to recognize the actual impact of the sexual abuse. So even when the perpetrator uh, apologizes, you know, survivors may be pressured not to talk about their abuse. And I see that in so many, so many cases is that it's kind of like this, the, well, I guess you say the family lockdown. It's like, okay, we already talked about that. So don't talk about that anymore. And so no one wants to really address the impact that the sexual abuse actually had on the person. Um, I, you know, I've, done cases and guys where they were actually you know chastised and and directed to you know not even talk to to the person and the family who had actually abused them and so when we think about this and if we want to call it our complex post-traumatic stress disorder or chronic what it does it just adds to the lasting damage and then oftentimes as we're talking about in families to say, okay, I, uh, I apologize, and and then the whole idea of, if you want to call it forgiveness, comes into play, at least for many religious families. And, you know, that's a whole process, right? It's not just like you just whatever, say the words, whatever, and you're done with it, the apology is done. It's like now if we're going to move together as a family, we have to move forward in a way and realizing and acknowledging the impact that the abuse has had on that person. If not, then the apology just it just feels meaningless and it's totally negated by the actions afterwards of just denying or minimizing the abuse. OK, here are some other things that we we, we talked about when we're talking about re-victimizing in family situations. And 
it's like, as you know, as I talk about this, we're talking about adults here, right? And so this could be 20, 30, whatever years later when we have the issues that are really coming into play. The other one is, um, or another one, would be blaming and actually shaming the victim. Okay, so when we're talking about re-traumatizing, when we're talking about re-victimizing. So once again, what happens is because the survivor is bringing it up, so oftentimes in families, they start placing the blame on the survivor. And I've seen it done in such, if you want to call it, sometimes in overt, but then sometimes in really subtle ways. And it's really a, a re- regrettable, unfortunately, you know, common response. So when you think about that, sometimes what they'll do is they'll question, well, you know, when Johnny, when that was happening, why didn't you speak up sooner? Why, well, you know, why didn't you let us know what was going on, what had happened? We would have taken care of it. We would have done something at, at that time. And so then once again, notice that I'm going to say the blaming energy and shaming energy is busy being moved again back towards the actual survivor. And so what happens is this shifts the family focus onto the survivor's behavior instead of where it actually belongs, which is on the perpetrator's crimes. And I know that's often difficult, like we said, when we talk about in families because of the relationship. But it's really important to realize that, yes, we do have a survivor victim and we do have a perpetrator within the family. Um, I remember the one guy, he was talking about this. He experienced this and he said that for him, what happened was his brother actually lashed out after him, um, after he expressed anger um, to him over the abuse and, and what had happened. And uh, what the family pretty much told him is that like, hey, you know what? This is your choice. You're choosing to be miserable. So then once again, what they were doing is they were actually blaming and shaming the victim. And so now they were shifting the energy towards the survivor, towards the victim. So just remember, even within our society, the societal attitudes that we have, that victim blaming is often used as a tool to actually keep survivors quiet. And that's because, you know, sexual abuse victims often blame themselves and they internalize that shame um, and they hold the guilt like we talked about before. They're holding the guilt of others that's really not theirs to hold. And so they're easily devastated, especially, you know, in family by these criticisms. So it's vital. It's vital for survivors to understand that there's there's nothing that um, anyone can do that makes them to deserve being abused or re-abused, re-victimized, those different type of things. Okay, here's another one that we ran into. And this is when we're doing the coaching. So in the family unit, what they were doing is they were, and I'm sure you guys (laughs) maybe have heard this before. And so they were telling the survivor to just move on, right? Stop focusing on the past that happened so many years ago. And these messages are very destructive. They're destructive and they are backward. You know, here, this is this is kind of the things when I'm coaching and, and I'm working with guys. You know what? I said um, your past 
is not your past until you deal with it in the present. So in other words, if I'm dealing with this stuff right now, it's it's here and it's right now. You say, well, it happened in the past, but yes, it's affecting me here in the present. So it's not my past yet. Right. It's still part of the present of what I'm of what I'm dealing with. And so, like I said, in families that are using those messages, that can really be destructive and it is backwards. And so in order to heal, survivors need to be supported as they explore their trauma, as they examine the effects. Um, and that's one of the things oftentimes when I have guys and they're doing um, stage stage 1A of the courses on, on, the, um, on the web. And we get to that and we start doing coaching that comes with that program. And they're trying to define and discover the abuse. What often happens, especially if it occurred within family, um, that they need that support because they're trying to explore their trauma. They're, they're trying to examine the effects and they're trying to work through those feelings. And only by dealing with the abuse does the past pain begin to lose its power. So that's why I said, so when someone says, well, that happened so long, t- so long ago, well, no, actually, because we're dealing with it in the present, so it's still there. It can't become the past until we actually work through it and deal through it. So if you feel like in your family you're being pressured as a survivor to move on, just realize that oftentimes that can be revictimizing. It can feel like you're being traumatized or re-traumatized again. And so I, once again, I just want to encourage you know that there's a place and there's a voice here uh, where we can just start working through those things and where you can get some support. The other thing that um, when I was actually working or coaching with this individual a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how um, they felt like um, their voice was actually being shut down. Okay, so that was that was one of the things of how they were being re-victimized or re-traumatized. So, so I was working with this um, individual, and I'm a big person. If you can remember your dreams, especially as you're working through stuff, to get a journal and start writing them down. And so he had shared with me, he says, you know, I keep having kind of this reoccurring dream that I keep trying to make this phone call. But for some reason, every time I pick up the phone, he's like, I don't get a, a dial tone um, to whatever connect with the call. And so, or find my voice. I'm like, wow, that's going to be, you know, giving us a lot of information there. And he says, then the dreams, he says, they actually start diminishing or stopping once we actually started doing this work. And he had an opportunity to actually speak up for himself and even to share these things in his family because he was gaining a little bit more confidence you know so it's interesting how the the brain is working things out and sometimes just trying to flag and give us different different things you know but when we think about this most of the families when we're talking about the behaviors that the family show when they're either re-victimizing or re-traumatizing the person often like we said they're rejecting and they're ignoring the survivor's story of abuse as well as their feelings, um, uh, the individual's needs, their thoughts, and their opinions. And so sometimes because of this, as we talk about that energy being moved, survivors might actually be accused of treating family members poorly 
because they're causing attention to the abuse. Oh, you know, see how you're hurting your brother by bringing, you know, these things up and, you know, expressing hurt and anger. Well, you know, they're hurting too. And so it makes it difficult to actually assert boundaries. And you're having problems asserting boundaries because here you are as an adult. And so as a child, you didn't have the opportunity to assert those boundaries because someone's overpowering you. Remember, we talk about the power differential. And now here you are as an adult, the same thing is happening as you're attempting to assert those boundaries to share that information. Once again, you're being told to stop or to stop it. And it actually makes you feel like you're back at a child again, being powerless. All right. Here was another thing that we we talked about. And we talked about oftentimes families can re-traumatize or re-victimize. So in our coaching session, you know, I was talking with him. I said, well, what are some uh, some other things that you're noticing? And this is where our physical comes into um, physical distancing. Right. With the so he says that well, what the family would do is sometimes they would actually leave him out of family events or social gatherings. Right. Well, because everyone else felt uncomfortable because he had brought up that he had been sexually abused. So they were kind of, you know, um, not including him. And so kind of sticking him on the outside. And he talked about how, you know, the effect that this actually had on him. So he says, you know, here I was the one who had been abused and but they were punishing me as a survivor for making everyone else in the family feel uncomfortable. Okay. And that's another example of the kind of, um, you know, pineapple upside down thinking um, that I'm going to say toxic and unhealthy families often engage in. And they may not even realize that they're being toxic. What they're trying to do is uh, they're trying to medicate. They're trying to stop the pain. They don't want to feel the pain of the injustice that they're being asked to actually look at that occurred in, we're going to say this portrait, whatever, picture family that is supposed to look a certain way so ostracizing ostracizing the survivor is another way oftentimes that families can re-victimize and re-traumatize the survivor now here's one that we often run into and this one is a a difficult one and as he was sharing these things uh, with me because like i said this had happened between two members of the family two brothers uh, one of the issues with the way that they were actually um, re-victimizing him was they were refusing to actually to, to take sides. Okay. So I know, so you've heard it before, possibly, especially um, if you've got parents and they're trying to, well, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're not taking sides between, of course, the survivor and the perpetrator because you've got two family members that are there. But the reality is, is that as a family, if we're staying neutral when one person has been, you know, inflicted or afflicted or uh, I'd say inflicted, afflicted. Yeah. If someone does it to you, it's inflicted damage on another. And then I'm choosing to be passive and facing the wrongdoing. Then what I'm doing is I'm actually re-traumatizing the survivor, the victims. And so that means that as a survivor and victim, that you're going to feel like you're left unprotected and not just in the past, but even in in the present. 
And so I just want you to know you do deserve to be supported. Okay. And it is important that we hold the abuser accountable. And so when we don't, what we're doing is we're just creating actually more harm in the family. And it's going to be really difficult if we're taking sides like that for there to be family reunification. And that's one of the things that that has to be placed out in front if the healing is actually going to take place. And so family members may need to be reminded, right, that the the abuser committed the hurtful, harmful acts against the other family member and that it's it's not okay to be neutral and it's not okay to be uh, to not say anything and as we were continuing our our coaching session this was one that that came up and it was that they were actually pressuring him as the survivor to make nice or i'm gonna say to whatever forgive their abuser now was a, a really a little bit difficult for him because the situation was they were kind of having a family uh, event. And so I think there was a birthday that was taking place. And so there was this expectation that while he was there, of course, in the presence of his brother, that he was supposed to act like everything was okay, that nothing had ever happened, that this was, you know, water under the bridge when it really wasn't water under the bridge because they had never really dealt with it. And so then for him, you know, not willing to accept or um, or refusing to like, no, I'm not going to pretend that everything is okay. It was something, of course, that weighed him down from the way that he was actually being treated. So here's the thing when we're talking about this survivors should never be asked to face to face their perpetrators and just make like it's nice. okay. Um, especially when we're talking about in the context, you know, of family and just for the sake of everyone else feeling okay or everyone else not feeling uncomfortable. In other words, that means that some conversations and things need to take place. If that's how everyone is feeling in the family, it means, you know, as a family, we need to do some work. And when we don't, what it does, it just creates this destructive energy in the family that really is inexcusable because we're not doing what needs to be done to address the issue or the situation. Think about, you know, reasons why, and maybe that's what you're dealing with. You're like, man, my family, they're, they're re-victimizing, they're re-traumatizing me. You know, well, there's many reasons that family members might respond in these harmful ways. They might be, you know, ill-intentioned or they might even be, um, unconscious of it but then sometimes they might be conscious of it and then oftentimes the need is to maintain their denial about the sexual abuse and so there's just many reasons it could be concern about family appearance or we want to make sure and i see this a lot especially in religious families well you know we're supposed to look like this and present these certain values so we can't talk about these things because then our family doesn't fit whatever those values or that um that model okay it could be even fear of the perpetrator i had you know one guy that i was coaching and he was talking about um how these things were going on he was married and he was like in his 20s and and yet these violations were still taking place as the perpetrator was still part of the family and so it can make things very 
complicated, not just for the family, but for the survivor. So then, you know, what are some things that when we're talking about this, you know, I don't want to be re-victimized, and, but there is a history, of course, of abuse that hasn't been addressed. Okay, well, this is my, oh my goodness, my time's about up here, 30 minutes. So, you know, when we're faced with these type of behaviors, sometimes as survivors, we may be tempted to just simply give in to end the repercussions that we're receiving, whatever, from the family members to avoid losing family members altogether. And let me tell you, I know it's not easy because I've shared with you guys, you know, some of my stories with my mom and those different things and being her elderly, you know, age and like, it's like, uh aha, you know, should I, shouldn't I, should I share? This is not the family dynamic. So I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. Okay. I'm just going to tell you though, just keep trying to plug away each and every time that you can. And, and it's a struggle. It's a struggle because we're struggling against these unhealthy dynamics and hurtful family reactions. And we're continually being affected by them. So my first thing is this. First, allow yourself, find coach, whatever therapist, and actually start working through some of the painful issues so you can actually start getting the confidence because I'm just going to share with you my personal experience. You know, when I started addressing, you know, some of these things in a family, if I didn't have the confidence to know who I was and then to have support, I had to have support actually outside of the family because I was going into the family and then acknowledging that this abuse had taken, taken place, at least with a certain um, individual. You guys know I've got like nine, so um, there's quite a few. So, but having the confidence, having my support from others around me, creating, I'm going to call it my um, brotherhood family of survivors. They're supporting me really helped me because this was really painful because, you know, you have the first, I'm going to say the first hand pain that took place during the abuse. And now we're dealing with, of course, the second wound, the third wound. And so I had to prepare myself for it. And so that's what I want to say to you. Prepare yourself for it. And that's one of the reasons when we do the workshops and things that give us an opportunity to be there, to disclose to others, to start getting familiar, even with that feeling of disclosing and, and those things that actually come up when we disclose. But like I said, however you, you work through it, okay, just remember that once again, you can do it on your own time frame, however you have to do it. But there's going to come a time when you're going to have to do something. And you guys always know, I always say, do something. Okay. And I just want to say, though, if you're ready to start that journey, you're like, okay, man, with all the stuff that's going on in the world today, you know, I got time. I definitely got time to start working on some of these things, some of these issues. All right, then let's do some coaching. Let's let's work on it. Go up, like I said, up to safeplaces.com. You know, uh, take a look at the different stages, figure out where you're at. Um, you know, make sure you watch the video so you have an understanding. Then let's connect. Let's start talking about some of these things. And like I said, I'm doing my part. So um, I'm just saying that those during this time, uh, all my programs I'm doing, um, I'm doing a discount. So 
let's do what we can to take our lemons and make some lemonade right uh so hey guys i'll be probably getting more podcasts in because i've got more time and uh so like i said uh, these usually come up often when i'm doing coaching sessions with guys and so i'm just sharing with you some of the things that came forward because maybe you're you're dealing with those things too um, but once again i just want you to know these are the words and they're words from my heart i just want to let you know that there's someone here who cares about you I want you to know that there's someone here and I know the LOV word is really difficult, um, but realize I'm coming from it and I'm using that word as someone who has experienced sexual abuse and the, and the problems. Right. And so when I say that I care about you or L-O-V-E-U or love you, that's the place where it's coming from. And so we'll see you on our next podcast. It's kicking these rocks, it's kinda hard to watch this life go by.